0: Thank you for joining us for another in a series of podcasts presented by Smack Gallery, featuring artists in conversation with writers, collectors, curators, and peers. In this episode, curator Klotalwa Mashika is joined by artists Paida Neri, Stephanie Conradi, and writer Alexandra Dodd in a reflexive discussion unpacking Black Luminosity, a recent exhibition by Smack Gallery in Stellenbosch.
1: artworks or even images, because I particularly, when it comes to the um, artworks or maybe like painting, I like abstract, you know. (laughs) I like the fact that it's not literal, you know, you have to kind of think about what the artist is trying to convey, and that is what I I wanted to explore as well within within the show, was to forcing somebody to actually pay attention. Um, Hence, some of the works are quite, There isn't much happening, you know. Even though there is a bit of um, real, not realism, but figures and and represented in some of the paintings, some of the artworks. um, But it also they're not in a way that you just take a glance and and move. But they kind of require you to kind of take, uh, you know, to spend a bit more time in looking and thinking. Um, So black luminosity is about See, it. you know, what do we see and, and just forcing us to kind of really consider um, the image and also perhaps to see even beyond, but also within that is conflated with listening, right? Um, as much as um, we, I mean sight is kind of an overly used senses when it comes to, you know, um, looking at art books, but also I wanted to introduce what if then if the image is black, if the image is dark, if there isn't much happening, um, why not then think about using you know, other things like listening and experience the work differently? And um, I don't know if that makes sense, but that is what I would say about Black Luminosity for now, but um, I think I'll speak more clearly as the conversation continues. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. I guess yeah, everything you said, but also I, rem- I remember reading your statement too, and there was that quote that Edward G. Mm-hmm. quote about opacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an interesting when I think about the show, when I think about those two, like how transparency and, and opacity are playing in the sh- in the in the show. Mm-hmm. Like you said, you're inter- interested in abstraction, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of figuration, mm-hmm. and I think there's also like a lot of like just material stuff mm-hmm. that have a kind of history and that bring on a different, maybe there's like a texture as well that I'm sensing for me in the Mm. show. So that idea of like bringing in all your senses Mm. came across Mm. for me, especially some of the works, Um, but like I think, I guess maybe specifically in my work, that quote about opacity and even that text about opacity is like super interesting to think through because in, my pres- in, my, in this sculpture that I've made, um, which is about pidgin languages, and pigeon languages have a kind of codedness about them, where if you, you kind of only know what the language is if you are in the know. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a kind of opacity about languages, especially like pidgin mm-hmm. languages. And so for me, my entry point into the, into the show is really from that point of view of opacity of trying to say okay if something is not it's seen but like the understanding is not so clear Mm. then what else do you get Mm. from it and i think for me like there's a sound element in the piece and i think yeah what you're saying about bringing in other senses then comes across for me like what does the sound evoke Mm. as a feeling what does it evoke as a texture or memory Yeah, I think so that was like kind of my, my entry point into the work as we were talking about the show and conceiving of like the idea. Mm-hmm.
0: But also through the sound, there's a possibility of um, people's own creation or understanding of, I mean, we're talking about pigeon and how it sources from many different um, languages to form a new vocabulary. Right. And, and so even if you have a, an opaque <laughs> listening, it's about your sort of entry point into the listening. And so yeah. it then formulates that person brings their understanding to it, however limited it is. Uh, yeah. And it forms part of the sort of like bricolage term, huh, idea yeah. of senses mm. and of... Uh, understanding the work through yeah. the opacity, yeah. <laughs> however limited it is.
2: But I think the kind of understanding is not necessarily like a narrative one. I think yeah. it's not something that you can necessarily talk about. I think for me it's always a feeling. It's more yeah. like a feeling. Um, yeah, I especially
0: know. like what you were talking about language and yeah. the sort of mythology that the language evokes or this pigeon language the, all the forms uh, that yeah. it can take uh, and so if it is something that you that you're thinking about the creation of uh, languages of understanding mm-hmm. that maybe some people are um, excluded from and others are included into and mm-hmm. uh, that really speaks to the idea of opacity that you were uh, yeah. uh, talking yeah. about
1: uh, I suppose it is that moment of, of tension, that moment of where you pause because you know, like your sight can't give you more than maybe the basic of trying to understand the artwork. I'm thinking about Alex's work, um, and it would have been interesting if she was here. But like, I don't know if anyone here would like to kind of give you know their understanding or interpretation of the work. But it, it was um, like Alex, and then you've got cow mesh and you've got Luanda, you know, and how those works for me are very silent, you right? Mm-hmm. Even though with with, um, with Luyanda, there is a better off entry because you could see there's, there's a portrait of a woman lying on, lying on the bed, but also with, obviously, with Kao's with, um, um, sculpture, it's, it's a figure of a woman, mm-hmm. but there isn't much else happening because everything is painted uh, black, so you kind of have to pay attention to be able to pick up the details whereas with Alex is just like dark and there's you know um pockets of, of light or, or white if you want to put it that way and but it's how for me and also I'm, I'm very biased because I understand the concept better but it's how for me, I completely do not rely on my eyesight, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just like, I close my eyes because I want to listen, you know, because I've been trying to use this notion of listening, you know, this kind of, this like silent frequencies that are being emitted um, by P- Unfortunately, with Pigeon, there is a sound, right? Like it's loud, it's audible, but with the polka and um, polka's work, your work, um, Stephanie, you know, everybody's work, there isn't such that, um, even with Musa's video, it's just a silent um, video. Mm-hmm. And now you kind of have to think and use other senses, basically. It's either you can, it's a kind of embodied experience that one would have to, a whole, I hope that viewers, when they leave, they, they don't just have kind of a mental understanding of what the work or the exhibitions are, but, but they also embody some of the things that might have you have as an artist, we didn't pick up, but also because now not just your eyes are attending to these, um, you know, to the works, but also other senses of your body get to pick up. Even if just like bodily, um, what's what's the word? Yeah, if you just like kind of have this experience, which is very. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Not sonic, but kind of physical, like bodily experience of of the work. It makes me
0: think of like the idea of residual matter, like Mm
1: -hmm. how materials
0: um, leave a residue of their sort of Mm -hmm. like the vibration Mm -hmm. or of the materiality Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. the work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then, if you think about like what you were saying, walking away and then having the sort of residue of the Mm -hmm. experience stay on with you. So, like in Alex's work, for instance where she puts the the oil paint and also the oil mm-hmm. it has this like halo around it and yeah. it's this uh, like the separating of mm-hmm. materials yeah. forming this halo or like the residue of the oil sort of seeping out from the canvas mm-hmm. and so you start to think about mm-hmm. like the textures even like with your work here like you can see that some of the the fabric is starting to leave it's like residue mm-hmm. in the space and it's those small like intricacies mm-hmm that then form the textural oh. quality of the work that you're looking at and the, the takeaway <laughs> that allows you to, to remember, I don't know, and then yes. formulate yes. around it.
2: Yes. Yes. I guess even like when I look at your work, um, like there's also like texture involved mm. and I also like, when you're talking about sound and like the sound in your work for me is definitely like the clinking and the clanking of like all those different oh, yeah. materials it's, and parts. But then I'm also curious about like how does that material history, obviously like these objects are from people and like people's stories, but like how does that material history translate to people also viewing the work? Mm. Is it also, um, I guess it's like memory. Yeah, magic. I guess like, it is that it's yeah
0: the the attachments that you have to certain sort of like. Um, what is that word like mnemonic um, connections that you have with it so you could probably imagine touching the work in the gallery and um, uh, environment you probably always like hesitate to touch things but i can imagine like you always have this like no (laughs) thing that you want to like almost reach out and touch it and then it's like the the thought of doing it evokes uh, another sort of memory of you perhaps holding a similar object and interacting with that object in a way that then links to certain narratives or stories. The that of makes me want to lick it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it does. It's like candy. <laughs> like a lollipop. Lovely... Yeah. 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 so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting
2: like thought what people impose. But like, then also like the way that they are shaped. The shapes are so specific, and I'm also wondering where those shapes... Yeah. So it probably is something
0: that we spoke about earlier, like <laughs> I enjoy looking at ornate forms but then I also look at um, jewellery for instance, but uh, portrait miniatures I think are a huge, so that like h- holding space of where there's something that should be in there but then there's these, it's bejeweled and it hugs and it uh, like, envelops that which is inside, So. Like, for instance, with the print, there's very little happening yeah. inside, uh, but it's the holding space for sort of the negative uh, environment within mm-hmm. the the portrait that uh, m- informs more of the thing. so it's it's those kinds of shapes uh, mm-hmm. and it like probably has to do with our like very um, colonial histories of mm-hmm. understanding these things as precious and as uh, um, regarded as uh, uh, more important than other forms that we take and it's this like ingrained yeah. understanding of those ornate shapes and forms yeah. I can't get it out of my out of my like yeah. out of my head and so yeah. I go and gravitate towards those forms and <laughs> <But> <laughs> it's a tension that you I will
3: in, go. I, in looking at those forms the sort of um, very colonial figures, it makes me think back to sort of photography and um, sort of in the ethnographic images, not the scientific ones but the ones taken in the field very much how they often used a tradition of art history and art history poses to sort of socialise us into looking at these um, figures of people that were very much um, posed and very much dressed according to how um, the um, colonizers wanted them to look which is an interesting bridge but what was sort of really interesting to me is that in those images they are very controlled very organized um, and you're giving us this contrast of then these, this very abstracted body yeah. and I was really interested in sort of how those two work against each other in your head and how you articulate them together
1: Ooh. Sorry.. it's <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Um, I, I think because I work through photography, right? Um, even the show, how I sort of t- um, thought about it, even some, I mean, even though other elements of the show curatorially, they, they happen organically, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm in the space, I'm actually um, seeing the, the physical um, objects. But um, I think those tensions, it's something that the show, I wanted to kind of like, you know, even comment on, you know, I wanted you to actually pick up on those, on those tensions, even contradictions, right? Uh, because when we're thinking about uh, black luminosity, um, and this happened um, in as, as we're like planning, um, conceptualizing the show, and there were suggestions of you know, works that are just painted black, you know? And and I'm like, yes, but no, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, I am not um, trying to, yes, the show could be that, but it's it's not that because I'm also trying to um, find these tensions, right? Find this contradiction within what I'm trying to say. And for you as a visitor, um, as a viewer, you come in and you're like, this does not make sense. Does not relate to um, you know to to maybe to the all statement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's 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 playing with the, with the tropes that we know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But also like because the question is, I want you to see beyond them, right? I want to um, to go beyond what what was um, given to us, you know, the kind of like. Um, Colonial photography, you know, they kind of, this is how, um, how you see, how you look at, at these um, kind of colonial photographs. For me, it was like, it's the position that I'm currently taking that if we're talking about decolonization, if we're talking about anti, somebody said anti colonization, mm-hmm. which is interesting, and we have to, it's me just claiming, right? Those images as as part of my own history, but mm. how I claim them, it has to be in a way that is according to how I see myself going mm. forward. I don't know if I'm answering your question, um, you know, about this kind of colonial and 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 the frames and the type of books that basically come to be part of the show. Um,
3: Perfectly, I don't think th- I wasn't
1: asking you to give me a yeah. perfect
3: answer. I was, I was really interested to see how you mm. were – it, it seems a very personal project yeah. um, and not a, n- not just purely academic, mm. it seems to be an interesting academic side to this, but then there's also intuitive personal yes. response.
2: Yeah.
3: And so you, yeah. can, you, you, can, you can see where you position the mm. two things and it's really yeah. interesting to get that push-pull, mm. but I wanted to, um, and you asked it amazingly to find out your personal response mm. to that that push and pull and that, uh, that, that
1: struggle. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So, but I, I just wanted to ask you, what was your, I suppose, um, your entrance or your entry into into the, um, the, the exhibition theme for you to be able to create those works? Um, what was that aspect of the concept that was like, okay, I can relate and this is my, uh, so, I mean, My if, position, I if I
0: understand sort of like the idea of myself in relation to blackness, it always mm. is because of, uh, and we were speaking about it earlier to a creolized understanding mm. of it. So, I, I can't see myself as fully this black form without yeah. understanding that I've been mm interpolated as well as uh, physically <laughs> formed through the history that we embody in like south africa so um like i was a bit hesitant because i didn't yeah. uh, um understand like how they, like there's you know you have like many stages of figuring out your identity at some stage you like yeah. you claim your political blackness yes. and you say like Yes, I'm I'm completely this. But there are contradictions in it because people don't understand you you claiming that blackness Mm. um, within a context where you can't fully embody it. (laughs) And so for me, my entry point is always understanding with the many contradictions that it comes with and also understanding that you... You claim some parts of it and others not. So, like being speaking Afrikaans, so, like the titles are in Afrikaans and basically, like translated, it's the victim and the, the perpetrator. And so, like looking at these very domesticated animals, or like one domesticated and one not, uh, you're looking at that like dichotomy of uh, domestic domestication and then the objects being very domesticated and then us like understanding our position in society, even to a certain extent as domesticated as well, to a certain extent that you can't uh, (laughs) speaking about decolonization, like how do you, after being entangled for so many uh, (laughs) so many generations, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, how do you disentangle yourself um, from your colonial past to claim a decolonized Um, like ideological stance, but also a psychological mind frame. like mm-hmm. how, to what point does that uh, is that able to happen? So mm-hmm. you're speaking about anti-colonial it's like quite interesting because I think I identify more with anti-colonial than decolonial yeah. because I don't I don't personally know if decolonization mm-hmm. is possible to the extent that everyone understands mm-hmm. it like mm-hmm. completely. Mm-hmm breaking it down mm. to its uh, previous because yeah. what is the previous like it's this photography like you claiming the photography yeah. as part of your history yeah. would then be a a sort of like an anti-decolonial act <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. so understanding it with its contradictions mm. Uh, mm. but then being able to claim it uh, mm. within your own understanding and mm. as a sort of like again what we were spoke, speaking about it's yeah. a it's the, like, myth- mythologizing mm. of your history, yeah. because you're adding your things yeah. to it, and then, as it gets passed on to the next generation, the next generation adds their own mythologies mm. to it, and it becomes broader and wider, and, and then it becomes
2: mm. entangled again, so you can't, yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I totally understand see what you're saying, and I think it also brings up another question for me, which is, like, the objects that you are using, I mean, they have, they're so colonial, and, like, teacups, and, like, very Victorian, and like they have this very like colonial um, aesthetic and then like they are found in the homes of black people, of blackness, they also are part of like a black aesthetic, and I'm just like (laughs) in that that discussion there's like contradictions there but then are they okay, yes they are black objects, but like I'm also interested interested in how, you know, that material history of them informs them from being like colonized Objects and then they become black objects. Like that process, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah,
0: and maybe that process is only possible through the attachments that each individual has with them. So it becomes individual. Like at first, it becomes an impose an, an imposition. Then it becomes an individual um, story, and then it becomes a collective understanding because we all read it. Yeah even if it's like um, different people will read it in different ways but there definitely is a collective understanding like I, I'm, I know that object yeah. because I've seen it in my own home mm-hmm. and then like how the, the collective thing do you then like only ascribe it to aspiration mm-hmm. or can you take it a notch down and say but this is like this is an inalienable understanding mm-hmm. of the object but it also has lost some of it when it becomes a new form. I don't know. Like yeah. those are probably the things that how I understand it. But it definitely is like uh, difficult yeah. to, uh, at first to recognize that it is uh, something that we understand as a colonial object, but yeah. also as a very much as part of a a, a black <laughs>
3: collective yeah. understanding. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But it's yeah. also a
3: thing of recognizing all the different forms that something that objects have taken throughout history and to different people it means different things. And I think that's very much what you're acknowledging is that to different people it's going to mean different things in different times in history. It's going to mean different things. And standing in front of it now, at this point in the history, well, there are five of us in the room right now who all come from, I think, quite different backgrounds. We're all going to walk up to that piece and have our own sort of collective chain of which parts of the history like we've brought forward and are now looking at it. And then within conversation, I think it's really interesting to sort of bring out in conversation with others what, what, how our histories differ. I mean, for me, looking at China, for me it's the China on your granny's counter that you weren't allowed to touch yet to the like, like there's a very much do not touch sign <laughs> yeah. here. Um, yeah. And like that is, that is my first response. If I start like to intellectualize I start to intellectualise and go back into the history of where it comes from and how it comes, you know, in, um, through. And we start looking at sort of coffee cups versus tea cups and we look at China and tea coming. In. I mean, there's so much global mm. history, which is yes. quite. Yes. It's not. We just. I think sometimes we we forget. We kind of forget that the history of tr- global trade and global yes. interaction predates colonisation. Mm. Yes. Incredibly, mm. and always. I think there's a hugely, because we are rightly very focused on colonization, I think sometimes we miss out on this map, this sort of wonderful pre-history where there was much more global interaction that wasn't wasn't this. And it's sort of what I find quite interesting it's often when I'm talking to people is that they don't realize that there was. I mean, that, that a lot of people, their idea of the history of Africa and Europe started Hundred years ago, and they also don't know that there was this long, rich history that was not this, that, that where the relations didn't operate in one being poorer mm. and the other one being richer. Yeah. There was equality in cases, in some cases, Africa was more well developed. And it's really interesting that that isn't acknowledged, and like equally that they think that they aren't aware of the history of racism is actually relatively short in the history of humanity. So it is also cool to look at, I mean, to look at that sort of history of colonization, but equally look beyond that and look at this incredible world history of global trade and global stories. And But you also understand that that,
0: that trade was fueled by people's desires for objects <laughs> or for goods that they don't, that they didn't have yeah. in their environments. Yeah. Yeah. So you would go, you would put yourself through extreme like pain to get a specific spice or an object a desired object that you wouldn't have in your environment and then that's so interesting that then that feeling of um like these commodities, uh, then uh, bring about uh, this like radical <laughs> sure. uh, shift yeah. in people's mental understandings, mm. uh, understanding, yeah. and then eventually leads to this uh, trying to
2: possess. But then even within that, within that trade of objects, then you also get like the development of pidgin languages yes so like, yes. tra- these trade yes. languages, which were like pre-colonial. Pre-colonial, it was about just trade. Yeah, but then they also become something else, and I think there's also, there's a, it becomes like an underlying violence between all of these, like, be, even like, yeah, the colonial, um, trading system, and like, you know, the languages created from that, yeah, so it's, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a contradiction.
1: Because yeah, because then Pigeon languages, they, for me, they now symbolizes that kind of people wanting to reclaim yeah. part of who they are, yes find the systems and um, the histories are now entangled reclaim right? reclaim who they are yes. and then but then
2: also they are pigeon languages also become
1: a language of yes. violence and mm-hmm. racism yes. and and yes. And, 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 yes. You know, I know yeah, but I wanna go back to what you said about, you know, kind of reclaiming your blackness and, and when to do that. And part of the show was um, is very much based on, on race, right? but also on, on the medium of photography, right? But also how we see. And, and I was thinking about when do we claim our blackness? Because through the conversation I was having um, with, with the artist, um, one, one artist said she would, she doesn't like the, the term black or, you know, to use that term, she feels like it's cursed, and we need to do some kind of ritual you know it was coming from a good place i understand Mm -hmm. right because black is such a heavy term for us because it evokes traumas right Mm -hmm. and not just evokes traumas but it also tells of the present traumas that we Mm -hmm. we are we are going through and we're experiencing in our daily lives and and for me, I was just like, it's so interesting, and, and this goes back to the conversation that we had our first podcast. Remember, mm-hmm. and we're talking about how within the black community, we <laughs> we kind of tra- you know claim certain aspects of of our blackness, and um, we're making an example. Pressure is making an example about. How when this news about a certain person and they black and they're like no that's that's not and they did something right like, and like that's not like who like we are like you know like TV, yeah that's no
2: extreme of R and like yeah like, how can we
1: still yeah. So in those cases, we're like, no, that's no, he's not, you know, part of us. Yes, he's black, but that's that's not me, you yeah. know. But there's instances where we're like, yes, that's who we are, right? Yeah. The Obama period, they're like, yes, that's <laughs> us. So it's quite interesting that um, because it's the question I was, I, I you know, I was thinking about. I'm like, for you, specifically, I was thinking about you and Usha, right? Mm. In South Africa, you don't identify as black; you identify as coloured, right? And Usha would identify as Indian. And and I was thinking about then at what point, And this is like a, a big question; it's a very complex um, question. At what point, even including myself, including Leona, at what point do we claim, um, you know, blackness? And what does it mean? What does this blackness mean, you know, to us? Um,
2: it's such a loaded question, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the one hand, I'm like, well, blackness, is, like, the term didn't come from us. Yeah. It's a term that is prescribed to mm. us mm. for various reasons by other people. Mm. So it's also like, on the one hand, I'm also like, well, it's, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, mm. I don't relate to this term. Yeah. Like, it's just whatever, but at the same time, like, there is, like, a kind of cultural, collective understanding mm there's a shared, maybe shared history or maybe not shared history, there's like a material history, there's like something that is connecting us in this quote-unquote blackness. So, I don't know, I don't really have like an answer about when you claim it or when you not claim it. But I'm also curious, like what is that space of not claiming it? Yeah. That's the opaque yeah. space, that's, yeah. like, that's what, what
1: yeah. opacity actually yeah.
2: is, because you're not... Mm.
1: Is in the space where you don't really have to identify, yeah, like what I to call yourself like I'm black. <laughs> that's right? what I going For me, to That's the space that I wanna. I'm, I'm. I would love to exist in where no. I don't. The first thing when I yeah. describe me, I don't say I'm a black woman yeah. because that's. It's yeah. kind of been conditioned that yeah. I have to say that before I'm, I say I'm. T-, obviously, gives it away that okay, she's black, right? Yeah. But what if i can just say god and like, that's it then i don't have to like um qualify that like,
2: it's, it's like you don't have to do it yourself internally but it's how people project yes. that onto you like yeah. you can just say i'm i'm pida, but then it's like that doesn't sound like an english name but yeah. then it's like then people then mm. project it onto you yeah. so i don't think it's so much about a, the discussion about coming like it's not an internal Discussion of you, how you present yourself, but I think it's also how do other people Yes, you. Yeah. I think that's like the biggest yes, issue. Yes, yes. I find it quite yeah.
3: interesting because obviously this is not a debate. This is not a debate that I experience, mm. but I do experience. But what I do experience is the reverse of that, and I do realize how little is projected onto me. Yeah. And that is a very and that's a very different space to move through when I realize how. Easily, I move through spaces, yeah. and that is—it is—it's it's something you're not aware of growing up because you think this is how everyone yes. lives, mm-hmm. and then you get old, and especially because obviously, after apartheid, South Africa, mm-hmm. like the, the sort of communities that are still very separate. And so mm-hmm. when I grew up, like um, I moved very separately, but the difference to me is I had a black foster brother growing up, and we would go out together, mm-hmm. and there were different the way I would get treated by shop tellers, I don't know, I mean obviously I have to tell you guys this, but to, to the way he would get treated would be, it was a very interesting experience. And I don't think a lot of white people often are aware of the differences because they don't see it because they're not being projected onto as they, as, as they move through the sort of the, sh- um, the shops or whatever space it is it's almost like you're neutral Mm. and that's a very very and i just noticed it from yeah from years of moving around with him and just noticing the difference between people Mm. the way people treated us and it's yeah it's very different that whiteness is quite black, neutral non-projected yeah Yeah, or perceived as
0: such but i think that um blackness can also be a collective uh, like coming Mm. together and then like it had its moments in history where it was necessary Mm. like in order to uh, resist something, there had to be a collective coming together. And the the intricacies were almost like laid at the wayside Mm. in order for Mm. it to be a coming together to um, make positive change Mm. or to like enforce positive change or get to a point where you could... So there is like definitely moments in history and times where a collective understanding of blackness is necessary regardless if you like take on the word, the term black or not yeah. uh, in order yeah. to, to, mm. to bring something about, yeah. transformation about. But then there is other times where, you know, these these are imposed, like you said, uh, terms. But mm. yes. you want to break away yes. from it and you don't yeah. want that label yeah. anymore because mm. you, you just want mm. to be recognized for the person that you are. And mm. uh, so like the, the the term brings up the contradictions. Mm. Mm. Of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of the situation yeah. that we're in, and, yeah. and so I think that that's a, like key for me is mm-hmm. to to understand when it's necessary to claim the, mm-hmm. that yeah. part, whether it's political or whether yeah. it's um, you can even call it cultural, although it's very racially inscribed. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. like, there are times when mm-hmm. it's necessary, and times yeah. when you need to break away from it. Yeah.